Hello and welcome to Beyond the Balance Sheet, a podcast brought to you by Quilter Financial Planning. We're here to lift the lid on the world of financial advice, providing insight for those already in the industry and anyone thinking of a new career. I'm Hannah Vaughan-Jones. Join me as we address common misconceptions head on, gather advice from practicing advisors, speak with those who have overcome hurdles and hear people's inspiring stories who have chosen this industry from all walks of life. In today's episode, we look at women in finance. I speak with three practicing financial advisors as they share their experiences, success stories and recommendations to build a better and more pragmatic environment. And my three guests today to discuss all of this are Louise Strutt, Director at Simpatico Financial Planning Limited, Heather Owen, Financial Planner with Quilter Private Client Advisors, and Jessica McGuigan, Financial Planner with Critchley's Financial Planning. Lovely to have you with me today. So I'd like to just kickstart things by finding out how all three of you got into this industry. So Heather, over to you. What was it that, uh, that appealed about financial advice? Yeah, so I hadn't really considered this as a career choice growing up, as I think a lot of people um, would probably say that, that you speak to in the industry. Um, I studied English at university, so quite different. Came out of that role, I came out of that degree um, thinking, okay, well, what do I do now? I become a librarian or an English teacher. Um, I did the teaching abroad thing for a couple of years and then came back and got a job as a best advisor. Um, so that role itself really spoke to a lot of my personal skills in terms of being able to build relationships with an individual person and being able to understand their situation particularly with their finances trying to build trust with them as well and developing a plan working out ways to improve their situation Um, but with that role it was a case of speak to somebody for an hour have a really intense conversation and then move their file on to the next stage um, there was no ongoing relationship with that client, which did feel like a gap that, that was missing. Um, but I found out through a friend about the financial advisor school and as financial advice as a profession in itself, um, where actually a lot of those skills that I've been using as a debt advisor transferred quite naturally. So building relationships with clients, um, building a plan of action, helping them to see it through, but then also having that ongoing long term relationship with them as well. Louise, over to you. Yeah, well, I wanted to be a civil engineer, so <laughs> that went well. Um, I actually started my uh, sort of journey towards financial planning um, with PricewaterhouseCoopers. Um, I trained there as a chartered tax advisor um, and really enjoyed the work that I did. Um, and certainly the background that I, I had in tax was a, a massive um, stepping stone to be able to, to go into the financial um, sort of advice area um, very easily. Um, but one thing that was very disappointing was being able to to do everything for your clients. And um, I just couldn't do that just working in, in a tax environment. So I actually seconded through PricewaterhouseCoopers into their, their, their then IFA division. And that's really how I got started. So with the qualifications I had gained as a chartered tax advisor, I was able to get quite a lot of exemption from the, the financial planning exams. But I went on and did those anyway um, and became a chartered financial planner as well so that I could do both. Um, I worked with Standard Life for a while just to get a bit of background in the industry um, and then I had enough and realised I could do both um, both tax and financial planning on my own so I left and set up on my own when I was 32. And Jess you, you, you've you been winning awards left right and centre <laughs> uh, but tell us how you got started uh, onto this career path. 
Um, yeah, so, so like both, I sort of had a bit of an un- unconventional um, way in. I, um, I actually left school, I think about age 17, so I didn't go to university or anything. And um, I fell pregnant with my son age 19. So I spent sort of the time when he was really little working in bars and things like that. So I had sort of no idea at that age where I wanted to go, what I wanted to do. And um, my father, Jason McGuigan, he runs the financial planning firm. And he invited me to come on a six-week temp contract to do a bit of work in the post room for him. And I fell in sort of in love with the role. Maybe it sort of runs in the family. <laughs> but um, I picked things up really quickly and decided I wanted to get qualified. So um, moved sort of into an admin role then into a power planner role where I got my level four qualification so I could advise and then I think as um, Heather was saying seeing seeing clients through a computer and seeing their names and reading notes and things like that it made me sort of really want to go and actually deal with people face to face and so I just shadowed my dad um, and sort of learnt my soft skills and then um, finally sort of got offered the role to move into a face-to-face and I haven't looked back since. So yeah, so now I sort of work alongside him and have built up my own client book. It's fantastic that you've had sort of like the, the background, the support from from family as well, mm. which is, you know, what gets a lot of people into, into different career sectors as well. And I suppose the next question I'd like to ask is really what appealed to you about this particular sector? And Heather, you sort of touched on it already, Heather and Jess, you both did, about the, the people side of it and being able to help people and that face-to-face contact. Um, Louise, has that been important to you as well? It's one of the best parts of your job and it's really difficult actually to, to get that rapport with people when you're not face to face. So I think that's probably one of the challenges we found, which we'll probably come on to a wee bit later, just with what we've gone through in the last few months, having to work from home and do everything on, on this kind of medium. But it's, it's yeah, uh, the face to face part is, is fantastic. And I think um, for me, it's it's. I think it is really one of the best feelings in the world when you've actually met a client and you leave their property or you leave their business and you think, put them in a better position. Um, Heather, do you think that with this new medium of Zoom, essentially, and being able to, to, to see each other face to face, but not actually be able to, to really connect, has that been a big stumbling block or is that something that you've actually embraced and, and managed to sort of enjoy almost over the last uh, six, eight months? As a whole, I think the industry seems to have really embraced it. And I think my clients have really embraced it as well. So. Prior to COVID, um, I think, if I think personally, if I, I said to my grandma, you know, let's um, let's have a Zoom meeting on a Sunday evening, um, thinking of her in terms of the kind of maybe an average demographic, wouldn't necessarily have thought, okay, that's something I can do nice and easily. But clients now are embracing technology, they're embracing Zoom, they're seeing it as, okay, I would still like face-to-face. You know, I think you can't replace that face-to-face feeling, but it's actually a good second option that we've got at the moment. Yeah, and, and perhaps almost a better option because you can still do things face to face, but people can be in the comfort of their own home. They can feel secure and, and you're sort of in, invited more into their their space. Would, would you agree with that, Jess? I think so completely. For, for some reason, I do feel like clients seem a lot more relaxed when they're talking to you sort of from the comfort of their own homes. And the, it seems a lot easier to to talk, uh, uh, use, talk a lot more um about personal issues I think um more just in the sense of that 
because you, you don't have, you're not completely face to face. I'm finding that I'm having a lot more conversations sort of based around what people are getting up to and, and you can get, have a lot more of a personal conversation. There's, I'm finding lots more time to sort of ask them how their day's going, what they've been up to. Mm. And um, the conversation just seems to, to flow, um, flow really well. Yeah, it's a great um, leveller, isn't it, COVID, yeah. in some ways, <laughs> in some ways at least. Um, Louise, tell us a little bit about um, the, the, your previous careers. You talked about wanting to be a civil engineer initially, um, but, you know, so much is made of transferable skills and how, you know, whether you've studied English, uh, as Heather did, or whether you wanted to go into a, t- a completely different sector, you can still find yourself down in financial planning because so many of those skills that you've gathered along the way are so useful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the transferable skills, you can, you'd look at so many sectors, but certainly from, from my perspective, I mean, I, I went into to, to PricewaterhouseCoopers to train um, as a charter tax advisor. I worked predominantly within their, their personal tax division um, and my specialisms are individuals, trusts and estates. That was my bag. Um, and obviously for a financial planner, uh, you know, you can't really speak to someone without talking about tax, without talking about trusts, and without talking about the potential of estates, because if anything in this industry, death and taxes are most definitely certain so you know <laughs> that's what I built my business around and it's been pretty successful I have to say but I think when you're looking at the skills that you have I mean I you know studied to, to do the tax training it was very apparent very quickly within my job once you've got those qualifications the type of work that you're then put onto as to what solutions clients are actually looking for and as much as you can come up with a you know a 15 to 20 page report on inheritance tax and what the implications are and the wider implications could be you can't really fix the problem unless you have a financial product at the back of it Um, and that's where I started thinking there's a massive massive gap here and as much as we had a financial advisor um, division within the accountancy firms at those times unfortunately with accountants our eyes are in the back of our head. We're always looking at what's happened. With financial planners, we look forward and it's actually getting that cohesion between accountants and tax advisors and financial planners to work together. And I thought there's a massive gap still. And actually, even now, there's still a massive gap with that to a certain extent, although most accountants are now picking up on that. But for me, I started to, to second to, to the IFA division. I would pack up a file um, in my uh, on my tax desk in Edinburgh I would send it through to the IFA division. Then I'd trundle on the train through to Glasgow, get to my desk and the IFA division and have the same file in front of me. And I thought, this is just stupid. So Mm. I knew I was able to do almost like the one-stop shop. We could actually give a really, really comprehensive, you know, job to, to this client we could give a really comprehensive service. Um, and that's what I looked to setting about doing. Um, so I went to Standard Life to get a bit of background on that. And once I had, um, they went through a massive change with the mutual demutualization. That allowed me to set up a tax practice whilst I was on garden leave. Um, and the rest, as they say, is history, because I thought mm. I can do all of this now. Um, and that's really what I ended up doing. The skills are massive. And for financial planners, if there was ever any advice I would give to anyone, it's get the tax knowledge, because it's an absolute killer. When it comes to you going up against anyone else, you'll win every single time. So the yeah. skills have been massive for me. Huge. I'm curious as well about this, the, the educational background as well. Um, Heather and uh, Jess, Heather, you said you got an English degree. I think it was from Aberystwyth. Um, Jess, you said you didn't go to university. Has that helped you or hindered you for, 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 both, for, for both of you? I think the role as a financial advisor um, 
there's so much involved with it. So if you're an analytical person, um, you need analytical skills. If you are an empathetic person, you need those skills as an advisor as well. So um, when I uh, get my degree at Aberystwyth, um, you obviously develop a lot of critical thinking skills, um, ability to take a lot of information and condense it and relay that. Um, and I think all those skills have been really useful as a financial planner. So I, I don't sit here every day and write essays and I don't sit here every day and read poetry. <laughs> um, but I think that having those skills and, and bringing them to the role um, has been really useful. Um, but equally, I think you, you don't you don't have to be a financial planner. You don't have to come to this role having had a certain background. You don't have to have an economics degree. You don't have to have... Um, you don't yeah, have to yeah. have a set path to get here you know I think you can it's the kind of role that you can bring whatever your life experience is to the role because fundamentally yeah there is there are products behind it and there's um there's tax and there's trust and there's laws and all of those things that you do need to learn for the role but at the end of the day you're sitting in front of a client and you need to be able to speak to a client and relate mm -hmm. to a client and understand what they need and then you can go away and do your research and, and think oh how how do i figure this out how do i figure out this problem but then you need to come back to the client and explain to them why this is going to help their situation and i think whatever your background is um if you can do that for a client then that's what will will lead you to success mm -hmm. Jess, your thoughts yeah. on that? Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I think the thing is about sort of any role in financial services is it's con constantly changing anyway. So you're constantly learning as you go. So, so what you might learn sort of 10 years ago, th things just continually move and evolve. So with regards to the knowledge and, and the exams and things like that, they're important. Obviously, you have to get qualified, but you need to know how to sort of communicate that knowledge um, to your clients and, and that's what's the most important really anyway so although I have found that coming back to sort of studying and, and doing exams again when I hadn't since school obviously probably could have been more difficult but because I was on the job while I was learning and that's why I've sort of I wanted to get qualified but I've not sort of rushed myself too much with the exams because I think my my prime concern is, is just learning how to basically communicate what I'm learning to people in the right way I'm, I'm still learning I'm, I've still got I'm not charted yet I'm nearly there yeah um, as long as you get that basic knowledge you can just continue to, to, to build on it and, and learn as, as you go and one of the big assumptions of course about this sector is that it's it's very much the kind of hard-nosed male salesmen who come and sort of knock on the door and it can be quite intimidating at least that's the the, the perception at least uh, a general perception amongst the public how have you found being a woman in this industry how have you kind of challenged those uh, misconceptions head on uh, Louise <laughs> I'm so glad you came to me first on that one <laughs> this is going to be good this is going to be good <laughs> I have never felt intimidated by any man in this industry. I'll start by saying that. However, it is a very male-orientated industry. When I walked into the first, um, as, as it was then, Positive Solutions Conference, I think you could count the number of women in the room on, on two hands. Um, and the first question that you were asked as a female there was, do you work in head office? Um, 
I love our head office staff. I just used to respond by saying, no, I don't, do you? Which they found incredibly offensive, funnily enough. So there has always been the perception that there is not much of a space for women in, in the financial services industry. And I think you are right. It was very much the, the peppered grey hair and the pinstripe suit look. And sometimes at our conferences, it's still very much like that. Um, but it is changing, but it's changing too very, very slowly. Um, and I think it is probably because of the public perception. But if I would say anything, the glass ceiling is well and truly smashed when it comes to the women who are already in financial services, because we are trying as much as possible to get more females to come into this industry. Um, just going back to the point there you said about education, the one thing we could do with a degree in for this business is a degree in empathy. But I have to say, for the women that are in this industry, they have it in bagfuls. Um, and that's what makes us very, very successful when we're dealing with our clients face to face. And Jessica, you were saying that your father is, is in this sector, in this industry, and that's one of the reasons why you were drawn to it initially. Have you had to fight to be heard at any point or has having your father in the industry, has that actually helped give you a bit of a, a leg up? Um, I, don't, I mean, I've always been, I think, there was a period when I started that I did feel like I was um, living in his um, shadow. And, um, but I think also he's quite, he's known for being quite a soft-spoken, compassionate advisor. And so I've picked up quite a lot of my traits um, from him, but I've also picked up a lot of traits of how to sort of, it sounds bad because we shouldn't have to, but how to sort of masculinate masculine masculinize um my, <laughs> myself um sort of in in a room full of male advisors however as time's gone on i i'm i find now I, I walk into rooms with sort of my head held high i like being in the minority i feel i like standing out although you you do feel like you have to masculinize yourself with other advisors walking into a room when it actually comes to comes to clients it's completely the opposite and at the end of the day that is what our job is all about it's about the clients but i, I can give back just as good as i can get with them I, like I, I get the impression all three of you can actually so i don't think we need to worry about that and um, heather yeah. what about you though have you have you found it intimidating at any point or is it just something that, that as everyone else has said, that, that actually clients, some, in many cases, prefer to have a female touch um, when, they're, when they're dealing with you um, and they would prefer to go to you rather than perhaps a male colleague? Yeah, I think so. Um, exactly as Jess has just said, there are two sides to it. So you've got the almost the behind the scenes as far as the client's concerned. You've got in the office and you've got at conferences. Um, and that is very different to sitting in front of a client um, where actually they appreciate having somebody who they perhaps feel they can automatically empathise with a bit more or have the automatic trust with. Um, I don't think it's true to say that women automatically have more empathy and are able to build more trust with clients. I think men can definitely do that just as well. But I think being a female just means that you've got that automatic um, in with a client who's looking for that kind of touch, um, which, which can just be an extra bonus, I think. But I think if the client, obviously you have to be able to back that up as well in your conversations and what you can produce for a client, but just having that automatic perception, um, I think is an advantage that we can use to our advantage. I'm curious about um, family life, and I say this uh, with a certain amount of trepidation because uh, I wouldn't necessarily talk to men about family life. But but given the fact that um, unfortunately in 2020 a lot of uh, the domesticity uh, role falls still to women, um, then I, I want to ask you all, if I may, about how you balance 
work and family. Um, Louise, I think you've got three three young young boys. God, no, I haven't. I've got one. I would hate to have three. <laughs> oh my goodness me, my my mistake. My mistake. Well, one, but it probably feels like three. Feels like times. three. <laughs> <laughs> I know the feeling. I've got one as well. Um, how do you then balance being a mum and also? Uh, working in financial advice and is it actually quite a good balance for those people who are for those women listening who are thinking this might be for me but I've still got to get the kids to school or whatever it might be or homeschool through pandemic times how do you do it um can I say alcohol or, or not no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no joking aside I mean I think the it's changing um, I think we are starting to get better balance um, and and it is a job that really you you can work around there's there's no doubt about that I had my son 10 years ago um, I'd only had my practice at that point for about three and a half years um, so I had him and had three weeks maternity leave and that was it he was back in the office with me um, and my clients adapted to that very well. In fact, quite often I would take them out on meetings and my clients were actually delighted that there was something else in the room that was more exciting than financial planning. So they kind of up my game on the chat. But I think it's um, it's definitely changing, but there's, there's a lot more needs to be done. Um, but you can have a good work-life balance. I think in the last few months, certainly, um, I thought maybe it would be a little bit easier doing things like this. But when you throw in homeschooling of a 10-year-old, um, piano lessons, drum lessons and whatever else. It, it was hard and I think maybe a little bit more could have been done to assist those who, I mean I myself and I know Jess is too, we're, we're both single parents. Um, it's a juggle but actually it, it's getting better. We could do a lot more and um, there needs to be a little bit more support because the biggest difference that we do have with our male counterparts is we're the only one having children um, and giving birth and they're could be a lot more support. We're a target-driven industry. doesn't matter where you are, whether you're employed, whether you're self-employed. What kind of things could, could be done? I, I, mean think, I, I think there needs to be more support in terms of, I mean, I think I, I had said before, the, certainly from my perspective as the, as the business owner, you need to be able to make sure your clients are going to be looked after at every single point. And to take time off, you need to make sure someone is there for them. You know, I could take, you know, six months maternity leave off. One of my clients spouses could die in month three what's what happens then you want to make sure someone can step in now we always have to have a locum available but you need to have people who are actually going to come in and step into to your business there needs to be more support around how we structure that, that around women in business yeah um and to make sure that they're also confident and secure that when they come back off their maternity leave or whatever leave they have to take for, for children being sick or whatever, that your business is safe because there's so much competition in this industry. You'd be scared in case, are they going to take my clients? Is there going to be, you know, there is always that concern. It's been there for years. We are in a very competitive industry. It would be lovely to see a business such as Quilter actually making the difference and doing something to support female financial advisors at the time where they need it the most. And that is during the early years or when they decide to start a family. Jessica, what do you think uh, might be needed in terms of further change to encourage more women at whatever stage of their, their, their life they are into this industry? Um, I think it just it needs to be more sort of heavily promoted of, of how, um, how flexible working can work in this profession. Um, I, I was saying to the ladies before, um, in the sense of clients, I, I, I try and invite clients into my life as much as they invite me into their life. So I like them knowing that I have a young son and 
and you know and I, and I like them knowing that I I sort of work work around it all and if anything I feel like that that also um clients like that they, they like to know that we're we're people as well and, and they like to know that we have we have lives and I think for, for me, one of the main appeals is is that I can I can I, I like to talk to my clients sort of when when they need me to, but them also know that I have a child. People coming into the profession and understanding that you know it, it's not a typical nine to five. You you can really work around it. I think is really important, especially when it comes to um, people say with young children. There's yeah. so many pressures, aren't there, in the in daily life, and not least with homeschooling, as we've seen over the course of the pandemic. But also, I mean, just having to pick children, drop them off, and pick them up from school yeah. at, at sort of three o'clock in the afternoon. I mean, that's that's in the middle of the working day for most people. So yeah. there's a huge amount of pressure, and I'm wondering whether you would all encourage women listening to this podcast perhaps with children or with caring responsibilities that just say you can it, you can be flexible enough with your work so if you need to do a pickup at three it's okay because you can carry on working at 7 p.m if you need to once the kids are asleep yeah. or once your responsibilities elsewhere are finished with is it that flexible yeah it can be absolutely mm. it's um it's totally flexible um Seven o'clock, though I think try to be <laughs> <laughs> flexible, but we're busy. <laughs> but 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 you can fit it in, and that's the thing. And I think it, what's really important as well is what what Jess is saying. Um, you know, in terms of your qualifications, they're part and parcel of our job. You can't hide from them. We've got to do them. And even once you've done your qualification, it's not enough. Things change. You know, every six months, and we've got to be able to adapt to that very, very quickly. So the continuous development of our skills is, you know, that that's until you literally retire. Um, and, and you have to build all of that in too. So I think the, the flexibility with being able to continue to learn, the flexibility of meeting your clients. Most of our clients are working nine to five too. Actually, the majority of my clients prefer an evening meeting still. Um, and you can be flexible enough. I would say it's actually worked better in lockdown than it does mm. normally, um, because actually probably being at home or being close to home, wherever your office is, is, um, is giving us more of a, an ability to do the things during the day that we'd normally be cramming in two hours, shouting at the kids, trying to get them to bed, getting the school uniform ready, and you're, you're, you're in the middle of doing an IHT report. So actually, I think it's given us a little bit more of a structure because there's less travel time, there's less stress there, but certainly... As a female in this industry, it's as flexible as you want it to be. And you really are in control of your day. And you can fit that around kids, whether you've got support or not. Yeah, it does seem from the outside looking in, from my perspective, it does seem that there's so many campaigns out there for flexible working. They've been going on for years and years and years. And this is one industry that has uh, arguably benefited hugely from mm -hmm. lockdown and the like in, in showing that this is a really good solution to, to that. Um, uh, Jess, let's come to you then. Would, would you recommend this industry to other to other women who are listening? Oh, 100%. I, like I said, I, I started out um, five years ago in, um, in the post room and I haven't looked back since and every, every day I get to meet new different people and it just makes me fall in love with it more and more and more. So yeah. yeah. Heather to you. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's definitely the kind of job where you get out of it, what you put into it. Um, so I mean that financially, so there's opportunity to earn really well, which I think, um, obviously is an important factor, men and women. Um, 
exactly as Louise said as well, it's, there's nothing stagnant about this job. It's changing um, every week, every day. You're watching the headlines. You're watching the economic news. Um, you've got budgets coming out. You've got the, the bar for the qualifications that you need to hold is, is always going up. It's only ever going in one direction. Um, so it means that you're constantly learning, constantly keeping on what's going on. Um, and so in terms of how far you want to take your career, how um, how qualified you want to become, how much you want to earn, how much flexibility you want, you can make it, you can turn it into what you want from it as, as far or as, as little as you want that. And Heather, you, you work for Quilter, um, but I'm, I'm wondering how Quilter Financial Planning has sort of has, has supported you or helped you along the way in your career personally. Yeah, so I wouldn't have a career, <laughs> I wouldn't have a career if it wasn't for Quilter because um, I I joined Quilter through their financial advisor school. So um, my my whole experience within this industry prior to being a, obviously a debt advisor, um, but in this industry I've been employed by Quilter. Um, I've been through my level four training with Quilter. I'm now going through my level six training with Quilter, um, and so what that means, I suppose my insight into the industry um i've never been self-employed i've not had to kind of fight against the the, the men in the gray suits and the pinstripes and that sort of thing i've probably been in a really fortunate position actually um to my my first steps in the industry have been really i think really inclusive um really really encouraging i know my colleagues male and female colleagues who have had experience they've been around in the industry since the 80s since the 90s they've been through this scandal they've been through that scandal misselling this sort of thing um not that they've been doing any of that obviously but they've <laughs> they've been around the industry you know as it's been through so many different evolutions um and been employed by different companies um and have all said actually they find that where they are now is a very very um, inclusive supportive environment so um, it's really good for me. And Jess uh, to you then how has uh, Quilter Financial Planning supported you along the way? Um, well obviously I my firm my dad's firm was already part of um, Quilter when I started but I didn't go through the financial advisor school I did the um, qualifications independently um, because I hadn't launched the financial advisor school at that point um, but I have worked I've done sort of lots I've had lots of involvement with Quilter and um, sort of also promoting the financial advisor school and I just I think that looking back if I had access to that at the time I would have 100% taken it um, I really think that the the way that it's methoded um, and sort of the exams and also how it how it builds up your soft skills um, which I think often companies um, ignore and they don't sort of they don't do as much focus on the soft skills they just focus on getting sort of their um, their trainees through the through just the exams so I think in that aspect um, Quilter's really really set up a good program so yeah looking back I, I would have I would have gone for it 100%. And Louise to you. I've gone through the journey of change and whatever else to be honest with you if I need the support it's there um, as a self-employed advisor with my own business, they let me get on with it, but they're there as the brick wall between myself and the Financial Conduct Authority. They're there as support if you need them. Um, the training is still second to none. Our compliance is robust, which is fantastic. We always need a robust compliance team. So yeah, the support that they give us right across the network is great. What I also like is the way 
it's the way in which they are trying to cohesively bring everyone together. So I think they're a lot more inclusive um, across the board, not just necessarily male and female. So I do think they're making, they're definitely making headway. And in terms of um, ambassadors for face-to-face -face advice, absolutely. I do think if there's anything they are really very good at is promoting the advice that we give, whether you're uh, you know, independent, whether you're restricted, whether you are an employee, whether you're self-employed, they, they push face-to-face -face advice, which, which is an absolute must in our industry. And just briefly, uh, to, to, to end this episode, because we are rapidly running out of time, as we always seem to be with these, uh, these conversations, um, I, one piece of advice that you would give to women uh, considering a career in financial advice. Uh, Jess, let's come to you first. What one piece of advice would you offer? Um, probably just be yourself. I think that, um, as mentioned earlier, um, trying to sort of be someone, you, um, someone you're not, trying to overcomplicate things. Um, a lot of the time, advisors have a tendency to sort of use all their knowledge um, they've known to try and big themselves up. And, and I think just, just being yourself and just getting to know people and just people will trust you and people will come to you and and just enjoy it authenticity that's yeah, key, i guess <laughs> um, heather yeah i think i would suggest that women um do some research before they um before they get into the industry before before they take that first step which a lot of women probably will anyway but i think um from the outside it, it, people can have certain assumptions about the industry or the role or what's involved that goes for individuals looking to join the industry it goes for clients goes for the public goes for everything so i would say do some research um if you can maybe speak to existing financial planners so they could probably do that by reaching out to the financial advisor school asking if they can be put in touch with somebody or um even just on linkedin you know just sending a message i'm interested in doing this would like to have some personal experience um, just so that when you join you understand what the role really is rather than what you maybe think it is what your preconception is um, good advice good advice and finally louise to you what's your one golden nugget of advice listen listen always listen because it's the biggest it's the biggest attribute that you have in front of any client and for any female thinking about it the girls are absolutely right in, in what they've said but do it. It's a fantastic industry. It's just, it's one of the most satisfying jobs that you can have. It comes with its stresses, absolutely. But in terms of being able to walk out, walk away from a client and know that you fixed something for them, you've made them better, you've put them in a better position. There's no better job satisfaction as far as I'm concerned. Just do it. Can't think of a better way to, to, to end the episode then. To Heather, Jess and to Louise, thank you so much for what's been a really thought-provoking chat and so useful, I'm sure, to so many people who are, who are listening. Thank you uh, to everyone for joining us today for Beyond the Balance Sheet, brought to you by Quilter Financial Planning. You can find us at www.quilterfinancialplanning.co.uk or our advisor school at www.quilterfaschool.co.uk. Subscribe to the podcast through your preferred platform. I'm Hannah Vaughan-Jones. Tune in to our next episode to hear from graduates who have just made that leap into financial advice.